Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. So today we are continuing our series uh, on the book of Acts, and this series is... uh, kind of going uh, inch by inch in the different sections of the book of Acts. We're looking uh, at different aspects of the book of Acts and discovering some really amazing things about the early church and how we can be more like them. So we've been kind of like settled down in, the, uh, in chapter 8. We've been looking at the four different people in, the, in, in chapter 8. And we looked at uh, Saul, who was the angry man. We looked at Philip, who was the very accepting man that overcame prejudice in his time. And then today we're looking at this unusual guy by the name of Simon the Magician. And uh, he's found in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. And here's what it says about Simon the Magician. By the way, there's about nine different Simons in the New Testament. So there's all these Simons, very common names. So we designate this guy uh, Simon the Magician, and you'll see why in just a moment. Uh, Acts chapter uh, 8, verses 9 through 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Uh, And they all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now this is a really interesting story. Interesting, interesting story. First of all, we don't know exactly what this means. This guy was a magician. Um, he somehow was able to mesmerize people with ability to do things that just were amazing. And so everybody kind of looked at this guy by the name of Simon the Magician. Now, if you think about Simon the Magician, he's sort of like 
uh, the David Copperfield. Here's a picture of David Copperfield. He's sort of like the David Copperfield of the New Testament. He does these amazing things, and everybody's tuned in to the incredible things that he can do. Now, uh, what's interesting about him is he's famous. He's very, very famous. Everybody knows who he is. And it says he boasted that he was somebody great. And everybody in the city of Samaria, where he was, whatever city that was, and the region knew who he was, he was extremely well-known. Everybody knew who Simon the Magician was. Now, I remember, uh, wasn't too long ago, in fact, it was this past summer, Karen and I were down in uh, Texas. I was speaking down in Texas, and we weren't too far from Waco, Texas, and my wife Karen is a big fan of uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines to have the, uh, the show on TV. How many watch Chip and Joanna Gaines? You know who they are? They fix up these houses and all that, and, and she has this line of furniture and all that. So Karen's a big fan of uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and me not so much. It's okay, but it's not my thing, but it's her thing. So we, uh, we were down in Texas, and we weren't too far from Waco, and some friends decided that they would take us to Waco to see uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines' uh, warehouse there at the silos uh, and, and this wonderful place that they have. And this, we went there, and it was, like a, it, was like the, it was like the fair. They had to cart you in on golf carts. It was just a big deal. And when we went there, as we got into Waco, there was a billboard as you came into Waco, and it was the picture of Chip and Joanna Gaines. And here's a picture of it. So we're coming into Waco, and Waco is marked by... Chip and Joanna Gaines. They have incredible celebrity power in that town. And uh, Waco's sort of, in my estimation, sort of a kind of a dusty, dirty town. I wasn't that impressed with Waco. But everything in Waco seemed to revolve around Chip and Joanna Gaines. And it's just a really big thing. They've got a restaurant there, and, and I bought a T-shirt there. We just had a really, really good time at Waco. And uh, when you think about uh, the, the, the area of Samaria... And you think about the notoriety that Simon the Magician had. He was sort of like the Chip and Joanna Gaines of, uh, of Samaria. There was probably a billboard when you came into town and you could see Simon the Magician. Everybody knew who he was. And everybody just, he was sort of a household name. And everybody knew exactly who, who uh, uh, Simon the Magician was. And the thing about it was, it says in, in, in verse uh, 9 and verse 10, uh, actually verse 10, it says, they paid, they all paid attention to him. Say that with me. They all paid attention to him. In verse 11, it says, and they all, and they paid attention to him. Say it with me. And they paid attention to him. Now let's think about this guy. Everybody knows who he is. And everybody pays attention to him, and he likes that. He likes the fact that he's the center of attention. They all paid attention to him. That's the emphasis. This guy, Simon the Magician, is addicted to something. He's addicted to the attention of people. And people paid attention to him, and he loved the attention. He loved the notoriety. He loved that everybody was looking at him. He loved that. And you think about this guy, Simon the Magician, you think about his, 
you know, his, uh, his sense of uh, always wanting people to look at him. And what we have here is we have a man that is used to the whole world revolving around him. He's used to everybody looking at him when he walks in a room, that he's the center of attention. Somebody said this. In fact, it was his granddaughter. The granddaughter of Teddy Roosevelt said this. Now, Teddy Roosevelt, if you've ever studied about Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt was one of the most, uh, you know, uh, extroverted, uh, kind of egocentric presidents we've ever had in, 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 in latter times. I wouldn't comment on that any further. But uh, he was just an egocentric uh, uh, guy. Very brilliant guy. Read like five books a week. Incredible graduate of Harvard. Incredible guy. But his granddaughter said, my grandfather has to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. What she meant by that was, my grandfather has to be the center of attention. So we have in this story, we have Simon who is used to the attention of everybody. And why does he have the attention of everybody? Because he does magic. And again, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know if it was sleight of hand. I don't know if it was demonic. But somehow he could move things around the room. He could do things. And his magic was his key to attention. And everybody looked at him and knew who he was and paid attention to him because of his magic. You know what I think? I think, I think all of us, we have a, we have a tool that we use to get attention. We have a tool that we use to get attention. Just the way Simon, the magician, used his magic to garner attention toward himself. I think many, many people that are prone to crave attention, they have a tool that they use to get attention. And for Simon, it was magic. He used the magic. And the reason, the only reason people paid attention to him was because of his magic. And that was his tool to get attention. And you think about, you know, what are different tools that people use to get attention? Sometimes it's their appearance, their looks. Some people really, you know, they're good looking, like myself. They're good looking. And they are, you know, they use their, their appearance to gain attention. And, and sometimes women are just beautiful and they just wear these beautiful dresses and all the makeup and, 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 and they use their physical appearance to gain attention. And it's, the, it's, it's their tool that they use to gain attention. Now, what's the problem with your physical appearance being the tool to gain attention? Well, the problem with that is there'll ever, there'll always be somebody better looking than you are, and your beauty will not last. How many know that? Somebody said that time is a wonderful healer, but a lousy beautician. You know, Karen and I went to see a movie the other night. We went to see this movie called A Man with the Gun. And it was a movie that starred uh, Susie Spacek and Robert Redford. And it was a good movie about this guy addicted to bank robbing. He just loved to rob banks, and he was a really nice guy. It was a really good movie. We enjoyed the movie. But really what took us uh, back by the movie was watching Robert Redford. How old Robert Redford had, had become. And he doesn't look like the young Robert Redford. Here's a picture of the young Robert Redford. Do you remember the young Robert Redford? Wow, what a handsome guy. 
that's a good-looking guy. And that's just, that's the, that's the young Robert Redford. But here's the Robert Redford we saw in the movie. He's much older. How many know that the book of Proverbs says this? The Proverbs says this. It says, charm is deceptive, it's deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Everybody say it with me. Beauty, beauty is fleeting. So, sometimes I'm in Walmart and I see people staring at me. They're looking at me. I can, I can feel their eyes on the side of my head. I know what they're thinking. That man looks just like Brad Pitt. That man looks just like Brad Pitt. And they'll come up to me sometimes. Are you Brad Pitt? No, I'm not Brad Pitt. But you know what? I know that's not going to last. Because Brad Pitt is going to get older. I know that. You can't... Place all your value. It can't use your physical appearance as your tool to get a, attention. It's just fleeting. And so some people use that. Some people use humor. They use humor. And I love people that are funny. I love people that are, that are engaging and they're humorous and they can, uh, they can make you laugh and all that. But sometimes people that are, are just very humorous, they're always using that to draw attention to themselves. One of my favorite comedians is a guy by the name of Michael Jr. I don't know if you know about Michael Jr. He's uh, from Dallas, Texas. He's a great, communi- a great communicator, a great, uh, a great comedian. I just love listening to Michael Jr. And uh, so Michael Jr., Jr. Uh, I've been listening to his comedy for a long time, and he had an epiphany a while back. He said, I used to get on stage, and I tried to be funny, to get people to like me. He said, I used to do that. And he said, I always waited for the last to feed my ego. And then he said, there was a paradigm shift where the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Michael, I don't want you to go on the stage anymore to get anything. I want you to go on the stage to give something, to help people. So Michael Jr. Here's a picture of Michael Jr., incredible comedian, and uh, he's been on all the top shows. And Michael Jr.'s com- comedy has gone to a whole different level because he's not based on need, but it's based on giving something. So sometimes we use those tools. Here's, a, here's an interesting tool that people use. Some people use um, being a workaholic. They work all the time, and they use that to get attention. I mean, they are just incessantly always working. And the thing about being a workaholic is being a workaholic is, is, is it's a way to be a martyr. It's a way to be a martyr. What a, what a wonderful, noble way to get attention is you're working all the time. And people say you work so hard and you, and you just are so dedicated and you're so committed. But that sometimes is just a, a martyr card that you're playing because you're always working. You can never stop. You can never quit. You can never give up because, you know, it's just everything depends on you. And, and so that's just a really, really bad thing. And to be honest, some people don't even recognize, but deep down inside, the reason they work all the time is to be a martyr. 
So they can, they can, people can say, their family can say, and their friend can say, wow, you work so hard. And sometimes their family gets mad, but they keep working because it's their way to distinguish themselves. And listen, I want you to know that the world doesn't revolve on any one person. And it's important that we take some time off and we learn to relax and all that. Some of you were here a number of years ago when I had Bell's palsy. I was, uh, I was preaching on a Sunday and I had an onset of Bell's palsy while I was, while I was preaching. And um, I was working real hard, uh, and I was just really just, just diving into everything. And I'm up here preaching. In the middle of my sermon, I got Bell's palsy, and one side of my face, you know, just uh, that Brad Pitt look just left me. It was just came, my one side of my face just sort of, you know, what it does, it kind of lost its muscle uh, tone, and I'm up here preaching. I started slurring my words, and I wasn't quite aware what was going on, but Karen, she saw what was happening, and she sent Pastor Jeff up here, and Pastor Jeff whispered in my ear, and he said, get off the stage, something's wrong with you. That's what he said. Karen said, get off the stage, something's wrong with you. <laughs> Pastor Jeff was careful. He loves his job, so he didn't want to... He said, Karen says, get off the stage, something's wrong with you. <laughs> and so uh, she'd always said that, but she never said that in public while I was preaching, you know. <laughs> so for the next six weeks, you know when you have Bell's palsy? You can't do anything about it. I mean, there's, you're, you're not, you have no control over that. You don't know when it's going to go away. And I went to see my doctor. And uh, he said, you know, your guess is good as mine. I don't know if it's going to last two months or whatever. And, and, and honestly, I had to tape my eyelid shut at night. My eyelid wouldn't get closed when I was sleeping. I had to tape it shut, and I looked hideous. And I, I remember our Christmas picture. It was right around Christmas time, and my Christmas picture, you know, I've got this weird smile. One side's up and one side's down. And during that time, six weeks, I couldn't preach, couldn't come to church. And so church did fine. You know, God bless the church, and we have this great staff, and so, but I, I spent the six weeks praying. I'd walk down the road during the day, and I would just pray, and couldn't do anything. I just prayed, and I remember one day I was praying. I was walking down the road, and I had those, one of those little taps on the shoulders where the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, he said this to me. He said, you don't have to score all the touchdowns. You don't have to score all the touchdowns. And it was amazing. It was just like a little word. God always speaks to me in sports metaphors. And uh, you don't have to score all the touchdowns. I knew immediately what he meant. He said, I don't have to do it all. And you know what? There was probably deep down inside of me, not probably, there was deep down inside of me a sense of working and working and working because if I worked all the time, it was my way of being a martyr and was my way of getting attention. So everybody has their tool of how they get attention. So my Bell's palsy went away, and I told the, the network uh, team yesterday as I was teaching, I said, you know, we got this great team now. People just tell me where to stand now. They say, stand there and talk. That's what I do. And I'm just really blessed by that. Say this with me. Say this with me. I don't have to do everything to get attention. I don't have to be a martyr to be valuable. It's an important principle. Some people lose their looks. Some people use humor. Some people 
use all these things, you know, they, you can use your workaholism as, as a tool to get attention. Some people use their wealth, they get, you know, they get incredibly wealthy, and that's, their Bible's not at all at odds with wealth and making money. Abraham was rich, and Job was rich, and there's all these people in the Bible that had money, and so God's not anti-materialism, but God is anti-using money as your emotional uh, life raft, that you use money to make yourself feel, feel important. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in chapter uh, 19 of Luke, we know this about Zacchaeus, says he was short in stature. He was a little guy and he was rich. Now Zacchaeus may have had what people call now the Napoleon syndrome. The Napoleon syndrome is when people are short, certain short people overcompensate, they're louder, they're overbearing, and they're uh, very aggressive to compensate for their shortness. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what was going on with Zacchaeus. He had literally been overlooked his whole life. He had literally been overlooked his whole life. People didn't see him because he was short. And so he thought to himself, if I can't get attention because of my physical stature, then I'll get attention by becoming wealthy and rich. And so he, what he did was he, he became a tax collector, and then he became a tax collector that oversaw all the other tax collectors, and he was extremely wealthy. But all of that wealth didn't compensate for what was missing inside of him. So one day, Jesus was coming to town, and Zacchaeus was in the crowd, and he couldn't see Jesus because he was short. And because he couldn't see Jesus, because he was short, Jesus is walking down the road, and all these people want to see Jesus, and Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. So Zacchaeus runs ahead, and Zacchaeus climbs up a sycamore tree. And he's up in the tree. Listen, look at this. You have a man in a three-piece suit with a Rolex watch in a tree trying to see Jesus. So everything he had achieved, trying to get attention, didn't work for him. And he's in the tree. And then it says in Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus came and Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus paid attention to Zacchaeus. And he said, today, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat at your house and I'm going to be a guest at your house. And Zacchaeus was changed by his encounter with Jesus. And everything that Zacchaeus had tried to achieve by making money to try to get attention, finally, everything he had tried had failed, and he finally met the only one that made a difference. Jesus saw him. Jesus paid attention to him. And I want you to notice this morning that Jesus has his eyes on you. He loves you. And it doesn't matter how many people that you're trying to get their attention. What really matters is Jesus sees you and you're valuable because Jesus is looking at you. Can you say a big amen? amen? So that's the key. The key to overcoming addiction to attention is knowing that the one who really matters is looking at you and knows who you are, and you hear his voice of approval. And that makes all the difference in the world. Paris Opera House, a number of years ago, had a concert, 
And the concert was billed. They had this really famous guy that was supposed to sing at the Paris Opera House, and the tickets sold rapidly, and the, and, the, and the concert hall was filled, and everybody was excited. You could feel it in the air before the concert. Everybody was excited to hear this famous opera singer. But right before the concert was to begin, the master of ceremonies walked out on the stage, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm terribly sorry to, to inform you tonight that the singer you came to hear tonight is ill, and he will not be able to perform tonight. And there was kind of an awe in the crowd and said, but we have this other singer that is of great quality. He's going to sing. And so this poor guy walks out on the stage, and he walks out, and he sings this wonderful piece perfectly. And when he got done, stone silence Nobody responded at all. It was deafening until a little boy in the balcony stood up and said, Daddy, I think you're wonderful. Then the whole crowd began to applause. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. There's only one voice. There's only one voice that matters, and that is the voice of the Lord. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe somebody rejected you. Maybe your spouse ran off with somebody else and you received that rejection. You say, I'm of no value because I've been rejected. I haven't received the approval of somebody. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what your spouse did. It didn't matter what your parents did. What really matters is what Jesus thinks of you. And Jesus thinks you're amazing and he loves you and he created you in in his image. And he's wild about you. If God thinks you're great, who cares what everybody else thinks? Can you say a big amen? We all want to be seen, don't we? We all want to be, uh, we, want to, we want to be seen, we want to know that we matter. But we've got, to, we've, got to think about, we've got to think about where our value comes from. And our value has to come from God's view of us and how God looks at us. We look at the baptism of Jesus two times in the ministry of Jesus uh, at his water baptism. When Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, this, this thing happened as he was being baptized. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So what resonated in the mind and heart of Jesus through his ministry, through all the rejection and all the adversity he went through, what resonated in his mind was the voice of his father that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It also happened on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is on the mountain with the, with the uh, apostles, Peter, James, and John. And there's a, uh, there's a voice that comes from heaven at that moment. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Simon, the magician, was basing his, his personal worth on the applause of people, and it was so fickle that when that applause went to Philip the apostle, he was desperate to get that back. And he didn't know how to hear the one voice, the one voice that mattered, and the one voice that mattered was the voice of God, what God thought of him. When I was playing uh, Little League football, I remember, you know, this time of year, I always think about playing Little League football, and 
I think about uh, a fall Saturday uh, in Seaford on the football field in my blue uniform. And I played middle linebacker on defense and fullback on offense. And I remember playing defense and I remember being in the backfield and defense playing middle linebacker. And I remember all the people on the sidelines, and I remember my coach, Ron Calloway, and I remember the other players on the side of the field. But what I really, really remember is one voice, and it was the voice of my dad. My dad would be on the sideline, and my dad would be saying, good tackle, move up a little bit, watch the quarterback. And every once in a while he would say, move up and quit playing like a girl. I hear that a little bit as well. But what I, what I remember, out of, out of all, all the noise, I could hear his voice. Through all the noise, I could hear the voice of my father. And through all the noise of your life, all the stuff you go through, all the stuff that's been said to you, from your spouse, all the stuff that was said to you by your parents, all the stuff that was said to you by people that you have been disappointed in, all the, all the voices, all the volume, all the, all the sound, through all the noise, listen to the voice of your Father who is pleased with you. And Simon, the magician, he never got it. He never figured it out. You know, in fact, people always debate about whether he became a Christian, said he was baptized and all that. It looks like that he was going through the motions somehow so he could get the power of the apostles, so he could lay hands on people, so he could get the attention back. He, he didn't care that much about Jesus. What he cared about was getting a new, a new tool to get attention. And we don't have to use any tool to get the attention that matters. It's the attention from our Father that matters. When uh, I'll close with this one. Karen and I were, used to live next to the church here. Uh, we, uh, we had this guy in the church that gave, uh, was, seafood, uh, was a seafood guy. He had a boat, and he would give us seafood. And he didn't come to church. His wife came to church, but he liked me. So he would give Karen and I seafood. So uh, we were good with that. We hoped he'd come to church, but we sure liked to see food. So uh, he was giving us seafood, and one day he gave us these lobsters. And uh, the kids were, boys were just little. Joel was just a little guy. And, and uh, he gave us just a couple lobsters, and we put, Karen put one of the lobsters in a bowl in the refrigerator. And the, 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 the claws of the lobster were hanging out the front of the bowl. And the the head of the lobster with the little antennas and the little beady eyes were kind of looking out. And our little boy, Joel, he, he just a little guy. He kept going over to the refrigerator. And he'd open the refrigerator door and he'd look in there. And then he'd close it. He'd walk away. And then after a few minutes, he'd play a little bit. He'd come back over. And he would open that refrigerator door. And we're just watching him. And about the third time, he walked over there and he opened that refrigerator door. And he leaned in there and he said, can you see me? <laughs> Funniest thing, I'm telling you. And you know what? 
we go through life and we're looking at all of our friends. We're saying, can you see me? Can you see me? And the Lord says, I see you. I see you and you matter. I see you and you matter. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Let his love, let his approval flow over you this morning. Any words of rejection, any hurtful things have been said to you. They, they fade in the distance of your Father's love. So, Father, we thank you that we don't have to be driven by attention, trying to get attention. We don't have to be driven by getting the spotlight. We can rest in your love and we can rest in you as our Father. And you say to us this morning, those of us, all of us that have gathered here that love Jesus, we're all here because we love you, Lord. You say to us that you are well pleased. You're well pleased with us. You love us. And we thank you for that. We ask your grace and your blessing on us as we go into a new week. We don't go into a new week striving or straining to get attention, but we go into a new week at rest and at peace because we have a heavenly Father who has a plan for our life. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen this morning. Let's give the Lord a praise offering this morning.